Hi, everybody, and welcome once again to A Walk Down Memory Lane. Our show today is brought to you by our friends at Kamali Electric. I'm Wayne Soares. A great, great, great pleasure and thrill to have on and not only a, a very good friend, but sports radio and television personality, talk show host, journalist, and author, my good friend, Ann Ligori. How are we doing this morning? Good, Wayne. Good to be with you. It's great to be with you. I really appreciate you taking the time, and I hope with all the craziness that's going on in our world right now that you're staying safe and you're staying healthy. Well, yeah, I know. It's just such a different world, right? Um, but we're hanging in there, and everything is, is good so far. So just a whole different thing to get used to with masks and social distancing and um, washing your hands all the time. But, you know, hey, we can do this, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly right. You are a pioneer, a trendsetter in this business uh, of radio and television. You're the first woman to host a call-in sports show at WFAN in New York. You hosted your current sports show right now for over 20 years, sports interview with Ann Ligori, and you had the longest-running cable sports show owned, keyword there, hosted and produced by a woman. You've also covered the Masters, the U.S. Open, the PGA Championships, the Ryder Cup, and the U.S. Open for tennis. Not to be outdone, you've also covered six Olympics, both summer and winter. That's absolutely fabulous. <laughs> well, variety is the spice of life, Wayne. What can I say, right? I just, you know, I love it. I love the variety. I'm, I'm a sports fanatic, very passionate athlete and uh, fan. And, um, you know, it's great to be able to cover a variety of sports. But, um, you know, I, I kind of was more of a generalist when I first started out. And now I'm really kind of, I focus a lot more on golf and tennis because I love that those two sports, I play those two sports. They're, they're sports that you can play a lifetime. So, um, you know, but now I'm doing, you know, I do the sports interview radio show and I can talk about any sport. But uh, as you say, I've covered 22 Masters and there's one coming up in November. That will be the first time I'll cover a Masters in November. But, um, you know, all this, I don't even want to tell you how many U.S. Open tennis champions I've covered, championships mm. I've covered. Um, and, you know, with this pandemic, it's going to be interesting because both the U.S. Open tennis and the U.S. Open golf have already said they are not having spectators or media. So I will be at my house in my office covering both of those events which is so strange but wow. that you know with this whole pandemic that's how a lot of broadcasters have been covering games as you know they've mm. been you know doing it on their headsets watching the game on television um and nowhere near the actual site of where the games are being played so it's just you know this whole pandemic has changed um, the way broadcasters and broadcasting is done. So um, is will it permanently affect us in the future? I, get, I think that's the question. Are, are broadcast uh, networks going to say, hey, you know, we don't need all these people right at the venue. We've been doing all these remote broadcasts so well. Why should we pay f and fly everybody all over the place? So it'll be interesting, Wayne, to see the impact of uh, the pandemic on the future of broadcasting because so many people are making it work, you know, from their homes on Zoom and on FaceTime and on all the equipment that uh, this high tech now allows us to, uh, to do. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. As a, as a broadcaster, as an interviewer, do you prepare your style a little bit differently from the masters to say like an Olympics? Well, my delivery is pretty much the same, uh, depending on if I'm hosting a show, I'm a, you know, a little more conversational, uh, I'm interviewing somebody and it's, it's really like having a conversation. If I'm covering an event and just doing updates, for instance, when I'm at the masters and I do updates for WFAN and CBS radio network, then it's kind of like 40 seconds of strictly, you know, what's happening on the course, what's going on with the leaderboard, you know, how did Tiger do, what did, what did Rory McIlroy just, just do? And that's more kind of a news style delivery. But when I'm hosting shows, you know, it's really like more or less like, like you, you know, just come into, you know, my living room, have a nice conversation and uh, let's share, 
you know, some talk. So, yeah, the, the style is different. But as far as the sports goes, um, you know, the delivery really doesn't change. I mean, my updates from the Olympics would, I think, sound the same as my updates from the Masters or my updates from the U.S. Open Tennis Championship. Um, you know, that style pretty much stays the same. The names are different, though. You really have to know the names. I mean, all the Eastern Europeans who are great skiers, um, you know, when I cover Winter Olympics, you have to really understand how to pronounce their names. And, and you know, tennis is a global sport as well. And so when all these Europeans come over and, and play in the U.S. Open Tennis Championship. I mean, a lot of these names, you know, are like six syllables. <laughs> so It's got to be on your game. Yeah. Pronunciation yeah, is key. You really have to learn how to pronounce them. And, and, and they have to roll off your tongue like you've said their names like, you know, every week for about a year. So that takes a lot of work. But. Anyway, it's fun. <laughs> We're chatting here in the Rock Down Memory Lane with sports radio and television personality Anne Ligori. You graduated from the University of South Florida, and I believe you still serve. Do you still serve on the foundation board? I, I haven't done. Yeah, I, I did that, you know, for the term limit. Mm -hmm. And uh, but I'm a very de devoted alum and uh, have connected the university with um, VIPs in the New York metropolitan area. I, I visit the, the campus a lot when I'm in Florida. I go to a lot of their events and I'm um, actually during the Valspar, which is a PGA tour event in um, Innisbrook, which is just north of Tampa. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I host my sports interview radio show right on the tent. They're one of the sponsors of, of that event and they have this hospitality tent right over looking the 18th green so we have to whisper you know i love the whispering in golf when you don't <laughs> want the players to hear you and you don't god forbid you disturb a putt or um you know somebody's swing so <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we do have a good time um doing that show literally right overlooking the 18th green um on the the, the copperhead golf course there so uh, i do stay involved with the university of south florida and uh just love the university it's really come a long way since i graduated there about 100 years ago so. <laughs> <laughs> no no not at all you're a very very loyal alum now did you have an internship one of your first internships was at abc well let's see it wasn't i was actually working for abc so for i ABC. came up to yeah i came up to manhattan right out of college on a fellowship that uh, the International Radio and TV Society <clears throat> sponsored. And it uh, was an eight-week program. And then right out of that program, I got a job at CBS Sports uh, when Brent Musburger and uh, Phyllis George were co-hosting the NFL Today Show. Mm -hmm. That was a lot of fun. And I got to see, you know, what it was like. You know, I was a runner at, N at NFL games, you know, uh, college games, um, I just did a lot of different production type duties um, when I was right out of college. So that was a great experience. But I wanted to go on air and um, I thought maybe I'd have a better opportunity to get on air if I got into radio. And so uh, Donna DiVerona, the former Olympic swimmer, made a call on my behalf to the executive producer at ABC Sports Radio Network back in the day. And um, he was looking for women. And this was 1984. Mm. And he hired me as a freelance producer, knowing that the Olympics were going to be broadcast by ABC in Los Angeles in 1984, the summer games. So I uh, started working as a freelance producer at ABC Sports Radio Network. And back in the day, you know who was there? The the one and only Howard Cosell. <laughs> and literally on my first, uh, gosh, the first week I was there, Wayne, I was producing Howard Cosell's show. Wow. And he didn't know me. I hadn't met him yet, but um, he had made a mistake in his uh, speaking of everything commentary. And I had caught it. And the commentary aired in the morning, and it was going to be redistributed and airing again in the afternoon. And it was my job as the producer to, you know, make sure it was perfect. And when I heard the mistake and all these affiliates were calling, mm -hmm. I literally figured, okay, well, what am I going to do? I have to call Howard, who had left the station at that point. And so I um, found his home phone number, much to the uh, dismay of the engineer in the studio at the time, who turned white as a ghost when he 
when I told him I wanted to call Howard at home. <laughs> I found Howard's home number. And at the time, he you know lived in a gorgeous brownstone on Fifth Avenue. And he did the uh, a lot of the shows right from his home. From his home, line right. his house, right. So I called him, not thinking he'd be home, but I really wanted to get him to redo one line, you know, of this commentary so I could edit it and uh, have it perfect to go out the next, you know, later on that afternoon. So I called him and lo and behold, you hear the iconic voice. <laughs> Hello. I said, uh, Mr. Cosell, this is, you don't know me. This is Dan Lagoria. It's my first week on the job, but you um, made a, a slight mistake in this commentary do you mind redoing the one line blah 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 and there is this long pause and you heard that voice do you know who i am young lady this is howard cosell i don't make mistakes wow and i literally thought i was my career was over i thought well what the heck am i gonna say to this guy i'm 22 years old my first week at abc radio network and I'm talking to the iconic Howard Cosell. So anyway, I had to come up with some response very quickly. And uh, I said, well, Mr. Cosell, I know you're normally flawless. And, um, you know, you just happen to say this and you meant to say that. If you just redo that one line, I will make it perfect. And uh, it will go back to you'll go back to being the perfect <laughs> Mr. Cosell. Oh, boy. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> You know what? He said, all right, all right, I'll redo it. You know, he wasn't happy about it, but I got him to redo it. And uh, he never forgot my name after that. I mean, I, I met him soon after he'd come up to the uh, broadcast uh, center and he'd have a you know few few uh, cocktails with the executive producer. <laughs> I would like his cocktails, yes. He liked his cocktails. And, uh, you know, he really respected me after that, Wayne. I mean, a lot of people were just intimidated by him. Sure. You know, he was, you know, when you think about the year, it was like 1984. There weren't that many big guys, so to speak, in, in sports broadcasting, you know. He was one of the big guys. And uh, he basically, you know, a lot of people shook in their shoes when he walked down the halls of ABC. And here I was, you know, this young kid really just starting out in the business and I think I got my confidence from sports because I was always an athlete mm -hmm. and I was a good athlete mm -hmm. and you know I earned 16 letters in in uh high school mm. four sports every year for four years wow. when you could when they allowed me to double between running a hundred yard dash and doing the long jump for the girls track team mm -hmm. and uh playing on the boys tennis team mm. and i played number one singles on the boys tennis team when i was a senior we didn't have a girls team back then mm. so you know i just i think my my uh, confidence came from you know my athletic skills that's why i always really encourage girls to participate in sports and and a obviously it's great for fitness and but it's a great stress release but it also builds self-esteem and confidence and mm -hmm. Um, hopefully you have a good athletic experience and, you know, I mean, and, you know, in sports, the winner gets the trophy. If you win the race, you get the trophy, right? That's right. If you win the match, you win the match. And there are not as many politics when you're playing, you know, uh, or competing, right? You mm -hmm. know, the winner is the winner. Hopefully, you know, the game's played fairly. So um, it just really established a lot of confidence in me at a young age and I guess that's that helped me call Howard Cosell. Howard Cosell. What was what was when I was twenty two years old and didn't know him because he he wasn't an overly he didn't have an intimidating presence he wasn't like a like a Jim Brown um, what 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 made him so intimidated uh, intimidating well he did have an intimidating presence because he was such a you know there, there weren't that many superstars in broadcasting back then and he was one of them mm. and you know he also was such a order you know he could in he could do a 60 second commentary with no stopwatch and know exactly when to stop it's on the dime amazing. i mean to watch him work was incredible and he was just such a great speaker he just you know it just was really wonderful to see him you know do his work um in radio and tv you know just very colorful and um, but, you know, he didn't have a lot of patience. So um, if you messed up, if you were part of a production crew who worked with him, you know, you had to do a great job or or that was it. He didn't really have a lot of patience. Mm. So, um, mm. you know, 
I know Jim Brown is intimidating um, in a different way, you know, with his size and his and his presence. Um, you know, I have stories about Jim Brown. I first met Jim Brown when I was covering a Super Bowl in Tampa, and I went out to play in the NFL press tournament, and I had my racket in hand. And, you know, I played a little bit on my on the University of South Florida team. I walked on the team. Mm-hmm. I was a good athlete in high school, but I, I pursued an academic scholarship um, and not a, you know, not, not um, I was not, yeah, I was not uh, recruit USF recruited internationally. I came from a small town in Ohio, Ohio where, you know, we didn't know really, they didn't really know what recruiting was back then. <laughs> you know, I was just lucky to play in the boys tennis team because we didn't have a girls team, but in um, at University of South Florida, I, I played a, a little tennis because I was good enough to walk on the team and play for the Division, you know, one school. So anyway, I could play some tennis. So I went up to Jim Brown, who had just got off the golf, the, the the tennis court, and I looked, uh, you know, up at him and I introduced myself and I said, uh, "Jim, um, I'm Ann Liguori. I, you know, I'm a big fan. I obviously um, know all about you because I'm from Cleveland, Ohio." Um, but I was wondering if you wanted to have a hit. Do you want to play some tennis? And he just looked down at me with that grin, like, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> you, you want to play tennis with me? Like, how dare I ask him, you know, for, for a game, right? Mm. But, um, you know, he quickly, you know, changed his, his expression. He said, sure, let's go out. So I went out and warmed up with him on the tennis court. And uh, found very quickly that uh, he could run side to side pretty well, but he couldn't, his knees were pretty arthritic at that point, and he couldn't really run too well from the baseline to the net. So I figured if I drop shot it, I'd have a a chance. (laughs) (laughs) So that's exactly what I did. I uh, just threw as many drop shots in as I could, and I beat him 6 4. So um, I had his attention at that point. And uh, after I beat him in a set, I just asked him if I could interview him for a sports magazine. And uh, he said, sure. So the next day, I uh, go to the Holiday Inn where he's staying, where he told me to go. 10 o'clock, I call him from the lobby. Hi, Jim, it's Ann Liguori. I'm here in the lobby waiting for you. No, 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 come to my room. I knew that was coming next. (laughs) <laughs> and um, I said, no, 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 that's okay. I'm here. I have my, my microphone, my equipment all set up in the lobby here. I'll, I'll wait for you here in the lobby. He goes, no, 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 no. Come to room 101. Well, I don't know. I didn't know what to do, honestly, because he really was not set on leaving his room. So I go to his room, and, you know, the Holiday Inn rooms aren't that big. So I walk in, and I'm sitting down getting ready to interview him. There's a woman in bed under the sheets and she's not moving. (laughs) There's champagne bottles all over the room. And I just basically interviewed him um, while this woman was under the covers. It was just the most (laughs) crazy. I've never done anything like that since. It was the craziest moment ever, most uncomfortable interview I've ever done, but it was a good interview. I mean, he basically was focused. He, I guess, had had a late night, didn't want to kind of, uh, you know, leave the room. And uh, honestly, we've become good friends ever since. It's I've interviewed Jim Brown so many times, mm. and each time it's very controversial, um, but certainly not as controversial of a venue as it was when yeah, I – Just a little bit. Interviewed just, him in his room, which was a little crazy. Um, I don't recommend it, but uh, you know, obviously back then I didn't know what else to do. I, I wanted to get the interview. He was he was a perfect general, gentleman. He never crossed the line, mm-hmm. but it was just an awkward scenario, as you could imagine. We're chatting with uh, Ann Ligori, sports radio and television personality, here on a walk down memory lane. You're also the first woman to host and produce your own weekly primetime show on the Golf Channel, Conversations with Ann Ligori. Your, your guests included, and I, I'm just, I mean, it doesn't get any more A-level than this. Kevin Costner, Sly Stallone, Celine Dion, Joe Pesci, and Matthew McConaughey. Uh, oh, yeah. What was, what, was, what was Joe Pesci like? Oh, my gosh. Joe Pesci was as feisty as uh, he was 
you know, as his character was in Goodfellas. Mm. <laughs> I thought he was going to take a pen out and just stab me to death. <laughs> um, no, he was, you know, first of all, he didn't really know me. So when I asked him to sit down and do the interview, he, he reluctantly sat down with me to do the interview. And then we had a walk with him and get shots of him playing golf. We were at the, uh, what was then called the Dinosaur Nabisco Celebrity Golf Tournament in the desert in um, California. But once I dropped Arnold Palmer's name, because remember, this was the early stages of the Golf Channel, and, and people, it was the very first year. I had to do a, a number of interviews before the Golf Channel was even on the air, and that's a whole other story. But, you know, a lot of people didn't know what the Golf Channel was mm. in the early days yet. So when Joe was giving me a hard time, I basically said, well, you know, Arnold Palmer is one of the founders of the Golf Channel. He's very involved in our channel, and, uh, you know, he sends his hellos. And then, you know, Joe Pesci did a complete, you know, makeover. I mean, he was like, oh, Arnold. Oh, tell Arnold I said hello. And he could not have been better after that. So I had to drop Arnold Palmer's name for, for Joe Pesci to be, you know, comfortable in doing the interview because they really didn't know me. Mm-hmm. You know, like, um, you know, my very first interview with the uh, on the Golf Channel was with Sylvester Stallone. Mm-hmm. And the Golf Channel wasn't even airing back then. So Jim McClain, you know, the famous golf instructor right. who was at the Doral for so many years, we were good friends. And on a Sunday, he called me. I was in New York. And he said, Ann, why don't you come down here? And um, I'm going to be teaching Sylvester Stallone tomorrow. And I'm pretty sure I can get him to do an interview with you for your show. And I said, great, I'll be down tonight. So I hopped on a plane, called the camera crew, organized everything. We were all set up, um, you know, two-camera shoot in the Doral, in the spa, Mm -hmm. in the library of the spa, which was just a gorgeous setting. The the lighting, you know, the guys, the production guys took hours to get the lighting perfect. Jim McClain calls me from the pro shop, which wasn't that close to where we were. It's a pretty big, pretty big place. Mm -hmm. And he said, he said, Ann, I have good news and bad news. The good news is Sylvester Stallone is here on the premises. He's in the limousine. The bad news is he doesn't want to get out. He doesn't want to do your show. And uh, I thought, oh, my goodness, I spent all this money coming down here. You know, the crew has been hired. Everything's set up. We're waiting for him. So I jumped in a golf cart. And I cruised from the Doral Spa to the Learning Center where Jim McLean was. And by then, Stallone was out on the range hitting golf balls. So I went up to him, introduced myself, and explained to him what the golf channel was going to be. And, you know, because he didn't know it from anything. It wasn't even on the air yet. And um, I had to, you know, basically tell him I wasn't going to ask him scandalous questions and talk about his ex-wives and all the other stuff that was going on. Very important prep. I know. know, (laughs) Honestly, you know, he was obviously one of the, you know, at the height of his career back then. And he just wanted to make sure it was legitimate. Mm -hmm. And so I said, listen, we're going to talk about your golf game and what you bring from acting and your your world to to golf and vice versa. I, I promised him he'd really enjoy the interview. And so he decided, okay, uh, let's do it. So then I had to get my crew who had broken down all their cameras and everything, the lighting, uh, because they thought maybe we would get them on the range. But I didn't want to do the interview on the range because it was too noisy and it wasn't perfect. So I had to stall him while my camera crew went back to the spa to set up, you know, the the, the whole um, production site and. Um, so anyway, I had a beautiful makeup artist, and she kind of flirted with them for a while. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> and, you know, the things that go on, people don't realize, you know, the things that go on, you know, to try to get these guys, A, to give you, you know, a good interview. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that can go wrong. But, um, like, the agent was pacing in front of the camera. He said, I only had five minutes. And, I, t- uh, you know, I told his agent, it's a 30-minute show. I can't just have five minutes of his time. I need him for about 40 minutes. And then we have to go out and, sh- and, and shoot this footage of him on the golf course. So the agent was pacing back and forth, and, and Stallone was a little uncomfortable. But once I asked him the first question, he really kind of settled in and, and really relaxed. I 
I had to come up with something that would make him more comfortable. So I, I said, Sylvester, you're an actor, you're a writer, you're, you know, an executive producer, you're a director, you're, you play polo, you're, um, you know, you're, you're this, you're that. And you love to play golf. And so, you know, I basically, I made him feel very comfortable. Again, his whole um, body language changed after I asked him the first question. And when he realized it was really going to be mm-hmm. about his passion for golf, then he was brilliant. You know, a very smart guy, Sylvester Stallone. Mm, mm. You get and, stereotyped and sometimes with the Rocky he, type yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly, you know, because of his accent. Mm. Exactly. He grew up in Howe's Kitchen in, you know, Manhattan, and he had that thick, you know, accent. And But, you know, he used to read the dictionary every day as a kid to learn vocabulary. His enunciation. And, wow. Exactly. Wow. And, you know, for somebody to insist on not only writing Rocky, the whole Rocky series, but starring in it too. You know, back then they wanted to, Hollywood wanted to buy the script and they didn't want him to star in it, but he insisted on starring in it. And he was able to maintain the rights, obviously, to that whole Rockies series. And it was just, a, you know, and they were all blockbusters. Blockbuster. Sure. So, yeah. You um, read the, so you, you read the dictionary, guy. too, as a, as, a, as a young kid, too, huh? Um, sure. Blockbuster. No, I, I, listen, I know. I can't even, <laughs> I can't even pronounce it. Right? No. I, what, oh, one of the things, God. if I can just, you know, again, uh, kudos to you. You've always been, uh, in in my opinion, which is one of the many things I've, I admire about you, you you're, you're fearless when you're going after somebody for an interview. I mean, you don't let really anything get in your way. And you enjoyed a very, very, very close relationship with, with Arnold Palmer. Am I correct? Well, yeah, you know, I went to Arnold's memorial service. Um, I knew Arnold for many, many years. I would interview him when he came to Manhattan, and I would interview him when he was at Bay Hill, where he had an office in Florida. And uh, he was obviously very involved with getting the Golf Channel launched. Um, But um, in 2016, are my dates right here? I think it was 2016, four, I think it's been four years since he's passed. Um, I was covering the U.S. Open at Oakmont, which is right out of Pittsburgh, and I wanted to go and visit Arnold and see Latrobe, where he was, you know, obviously spent up, all yeah. his, he grew up, and he was, you know, uh, he worked and learned the game there. And um, Doc Giffen, his longtime um, media person, who's, gosh, has to be in his late 80s by now, mm. maybe even in his I 90s. In early 90s, I think, yeah. Yeah. Doc made it possible for me to visit Latrobe right after the U.S. Open at Oakmont. And uh, so I went and uh, got the tour, and Arnold spent 20 minutes with me in his office, and we talked and laughed and chatted, and, you know, you, you could tell he was struggling. His health was not good then, and that was in June and a few months later, he was gone. So mm. I was just so grateful that Doc gave me that, that opportunity to go and visit Arnie so I could, you know, meet him in his office and in the golf house and see Latrobe Country Club and, and you know, really kind of uh, experience where Arnold had spent so much of his life. And, you know, it was just such an important place to him. So he, I was grateful for that opportunity. He always struck me as a very... Uh genuine down-to-earth grandfatherly guy is that a is that a, a pretty much a, a, a fair description of him oh yeah i mean and had the most charismatic personality you know if all the athletes were like arnie he would sign autographs for hours every single day he talked to everybody whether you were you know the president of the united states or or you know uh, uh whatever whomever you know mm-hmm. what i'm saying i mean he he didn't discriminate He'd be at Bay Hill in the winter months in Orlando, Florida, and oftentimes he'd, if there was a group that had a threesome and they needed a fourth, he would just say, hey, do you mind if I join you? Can you imagine playing golf with, you know, the the king? (laughs) The king, exactly. He would just join your threesome. It was just, he was just that way. Um, You know, he and Mark McCormick um, started sports marketing Hmm. with a handshake. Mark McCormick, you know, really the, the father of sports marketing, right. you know, connected with Arnold back in the day. And, and they um, he negotiated so many 
endorsement deals for for Arnie and Arnie was just the epitome of a sport marketer's dream, a company's dream, right? So they really, um, really were were so influential in getting golf on television and in bringing golf to the masses that where people could enjoy it and in promoting uh, a lot of different personalities on the tour. And you know, many people thank Tiger for the the way the money has elevated in the game with you know tiger's popularity globally but uh, if it weren't for arnold palmer you know there wouldn't be golf as we know it today he did so much for the game without question and uh he had a, a, a tremendous passion for the game which leads me to my next question a passion for golf celebrity musings about the game your book i thought it was absolutely phenomenal i read it like two or three times um Touch on that a little bit. What, what, what kind of thrill sure. was that for you to go ahead and, and, and write something like that? Right. So here we are with the Golf Channel. The show aired for six years, Conversations with Anne Liguori. And as I mentioned earlier, the Golf Channel you know, was on for years before a lot of people really knew about it and before a lot of cable systems around the country carried the Golf Channel. So I was on the, uh, the, you know, the first six years of the Golf, Ch- the Golf Channel's inception. And so I had all these interviews that were television interviews, you know, the Joe Pesci interview, the Sylvester Stallone interview, Matthew McConaughey, Celine Dion. So I thought, well, let me put these interviews in a book collection and then I could write intros into each personality and give the reader more insight on what each personality was really like, you know, the story behind the story. And so I was able to, you know, capture these TV interviews and and put them in book form and then write about each of the personalities that I interviewed. So, um, you know, that way more and more people could really understand what these personalities were like and why they were so passionate about golf. And, and, you know, golf is such a great vehicle to get to know somebody. And um, so those were all the the themes in the book and the book's done very very well and now i'm working on another book kind of like the same format but i'm i'm thinking it might be more of a coffee table book because i have so much so many photos and memorabilia to Mm. to share in the book as well but it's going to be really more on the sports legends that i've interviewed through the years so that has there's always a project Wayne. just simply amazing though the 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 people that you've met the people that you've interviewed you've got uh, fabulous fabulous photos I want to also talk about another great event that you have coming up in a in a couple of months, the uh, Anne Ligori Golf Tournament. Tell us a little bit about that. Our 22nd annual Anne Ligori Foundation Charity Golf Classic. Um, it started out as a tournament benefiting American Cancer Society right in my backyard in uh, at the West Hampton Country Club. And then um, I decided, you know what, I want to help the American Cancer Society, but I also want to help a lot of other Uh, not-for-profits. So I put my own foundation together about 12 years ago now. And um, we do, we really do a lot of, um, we support a lot of organizations that that focus on cancer research. Um, The Samuel Waxman uh, Cancer Research Foundation. Um, St. Jude's. I mean, everybody knows St. Jude's. They do just some, you know, just incredible work. So this year, um, the tournament is October 8 at the Maidstone Club in East Hampton. And every year we try to go, you know, the East End, we're so blessed with some of the top golf courses in the world right here on the East End of Long Island. And every year we go to one of these courses. So we've been to Maidstone a few times. Everybody just loves this gem right on the Atlantic Ocean. And, you know, there's Friar's Head out here, there's Shinnecock, there's Sabonic, there's Atlantic. Um, There's just so many great golf courses Mm. out here. So we try to go to one of these prestigious courses every year, and we've been blessed to be sold out every year. It used to be a celebrity tournament, Wayne, but Mm -hmm. honestly, these courses really put a, a kind of a cap on how many golfers they, they want at their their clubs and they have a right obviously to do that I guess they're private clubs very exclusive clubs and people really want to play these golf courses so I'll have a couple of my celebrity friends come I hope you can come this year I, I was, know you're very busy I was gonna say maybe that, you can I was gonna say I heard you were bringing in a, a, the big kahuna big celebrity coming from uh, from the western part of the state in Massachusetts 
Exactly. <laughs> well, you know, we'll be here, I hope. I hope. You can help me do the acting. Yes, I would Everybody, love to. You're such a you're, you're just so much fun. You're, you know, and people love your personality and, and you're so funny. And, you know, I think of all what who, we all need to laugh, especially in this crazy year, right? 2020. So I'm hoping you can come down and and get people to laugh a little bit and smile and uh, it's just such for you know it's for such a great cause so well, um, uh, i'm really uh, proud of the work we're doing with uh, the Anne Ligori foundation yes and you're doing wonderful wonderful things with that and i also want to say i've been fortunate enough to play in your tournament uh in the past and it's a it's a it's, it's somebody that runs a tournament we have our second annual coming up and you're going to be yeah, I'm going to be at your tournament. You're going to be at my tournament. We're so happy that you and Scott are going to be able to come in. But it's you run a first-class affair, my friend. Everything is is first-class, well-organized, well-run, and um, no mistakes. No mistakes in in your tournament. I can tell you that. Oh, I appreciate that. You know, we go to a lot of uh, charity events. We're blessed to get a lot of great invitations, and um, you know, you need the support of uh, people and you know how do you set your golf event apart from others and you know you just have to come up with creative ways to make people welcome and and you know but people want to play these golf courses and people really do want to um you know help find a cure for cancer or or help care for patients with cancer and uh, the golf community as i'm sure you've discovered Wayne, is a very generous community mm. i mean every week on the lpga tour and pga tour under normal circumstances they would have pro-ams and you know the majority of the money if not all the money goes to charity right golf is just a very charitable sport that's one of the things i love most about you know spending so much time working in this uh you know in golf there's just the people are wonderful and their hearts are in you know a great place and they really want to make a difference so um we get a lot of great donations from people in the golf industry to help make our tournament you know a very popular event and i can't thank you know all our volunteers and all our sponsors and and all our donors enough for everything that they do to help make the tournament a big success every year. If somebody would like to make a donation, can they go to your website, annlegory.com? Yes, they can okay. go to annlegory.com. Um, I have a charity golf page, so they can fill out um, a form on the charity golf page and send in a check or, or you know, send in the form with their credit card information. So they just have to go to annlegory, A-N-N-L-I-G-U-O-R-I.com. And, um, you know, just go to the Charity Golf tab and all the information's right there. I want to just touch on a couple uh, of your awards over your great, great, great career um, that you've been the recipient of. You're the first woman in sports media honored, excuse me, honored with the Association for Women in Communications Headliner Award. Now, that award was previously given to a woman named Barbara Walters, one of my, one of my favorite, favorite uh, hosts of all time, and another lady named Catherine Graham. Okay? And, and you were also named by the LA Daily News as one of the top women in sports media. Also, that same year, you were honored with the Debbie Gibson Girls Humanitarian Award, and you're only the fourth female in the 52-year history of the Bob Hope Golf Classic to play as a celebrity golfer. What was what was Hope like? Did you have a chance to meet him? Yeah, I did. Um, obviously very gracious and, um, you know, just such an incredible – that tournament was so much fun. Um, you know, and, and I played in it the very last year that it was called the Bob Hope. And he um, had, had passed um, before I had the opportunity to go and play in it, but I, I had met him previously in, at other events. But uh, I'll never forget playing in the Bob Hope Classic. I mean, you know, there weren't that many women, right? Mm. I was the only female that year. And um, you play with guys on the PJ Tour. So the very, um, I, you know, it really depends. You, you hope that you're going to play with guys that are, these are pros, right? You, you hope you're going <laughs> to play with guys that are friendly. And uh, you never know. But they put me with some great guys. Brant Job was my first pro. And then the second day, I played with none other than Bubba. Bubba, Bubba, Bubba Watson. Watson. That's right. And, you know, he was a little socially awkward back then and, and still is. But he was so nice. And, you know, he's lefty. So he just had to figure out, okay, where do we stand? 
man because, uh, you know, we don't want to get in his way. And, and, you know, he went on to, that was the year before he won his first master's. And so, um, you know, I kind of feel like I had something to do with that because I played with him. <laughs> That's Just it. Just kidding. But, um, <laughs> but you are a good luck charm. I also, I also played with Harrison Fraser. I don't mm. know if you remember that name, but mm. Harrison Fraser never had, he had not won. He was in his 40s, had never won. He had played for years on the PJ Tour without winning an event. He was kind of like this journeyman on the PJ Tour. He was the nicest guy in the world. And I remember it was the last day after 72 holes of playing in this Bob Hope Classic. Very last hole, I had this crazy long putt. It was about a 50-footer. And, you know, who knew how it was going to break because the green was, you know, it, there were a lot of, there was a lot of elevation on the green. He came back and helped me read this putt. And do you know, I sunk that putt Wow! and he was so thrilled for me. He jumped <laughs> up in the air. He was happier for me. <clears throat> and then he had like a six foot putt for birdie and he missed the putt. I blew the so he was like, <laughs> I know. Can you believe it? He was so nice. He spent so much time helping me. And so when he went on to win the St. Jude Classic later that year, Hmm. I was so thrilled for him. It was the first, because he was thinking of retiring, because hmm. uh, he had, hadn't really won anything. And then he went on to win the St. Jude Classic, and I was just so thrilled for him, because he was so nice to me playing, you know, in this PJ Tour event. So um, good a, things happen uh, to nice people. That's, right? you're exactly, exactly right. You, you've, uh, I mentioned at the outset of this, all the, the wonderful people that you've had <laughs> a chance and to interview. Two of my favorite baseball players of all time, uh, Mickey Mantle and Ted Williams, what was it? What was it like? First of all, Ted Williams, the splendid splinter. What was that like for you? Ted Williams. Oh my gosh! First of all, just getting Ted Williams. I, you know, that was not an easy interview to book, right? right? I was down at a golf course, the Black Diamond Golf Course, in the center of Florida. And a friend of mine just had told me that, you know, the Ted Williams Museum was nearby and that John Henry, his son, lived nearby. So we literally went to John. We found out where John Henry's house was. And we literally went and knocked on John Henry's door. <laughs> and his he wasn't home. I Can you believe it? This is how <laughs> I got this interview. So um, we knocked on his door. We introduced ourselves. And um, his wife was very sweet. And I just, you know, gave his wife... Um, my business card, and I said, this is what I do. You know, I'd love to have the opportunity to interview, you know, Ted Williams someday. And lo and behold, John Henry called me. And we set it up for me to come to Boston and interview Ted Williams the day he was going to come out uh, for the All-Star Game at Fenway. Oh, wow. You remember that? When yes, you I do. Golf cart and yes, yep. it's such a historic memory. And all the I guys, mean, all. they all uh, thrown out the first pitch. Tony Gwynn steadied him and pointed him towards the plate, and then every all the yeah. great hitters crowded around him like little kids. That's that's right. That mm. was the day I interviewed the great Ted Williams, mm. and John Henry was really nice to me. Obviously, for for helping me coordinate this, and he, you know, Ted was ailing mm. back then. And he said, listen, my dad sleeps a lot, but if you come at 11 o'clock and set up your camera crew in, in, in the hotel suite, uh, my dad will be sharp. He will have just gotten up from his nap. He'll do the interview with you, and he'll be, you know, believe me, he goes, I know my dad's patterns by now. And I said, okay, great, whatever you think, John Henry. So we set up in the hotel suite in Boston, and we just uh, – I, I was just beside myself. He was he was everything I imagined he would be, just a baseball genius, you know, a true scientist about the game. Hmm. And he was so passionate talking to me. And it, it's just an incredible memory. I mean, you know, we, we sat for about 45 minutes and I had to edit it into a 22-minute show, mm -hmm. you know, because each show is a half hour with commercials. So, sure. um, But I'll never forget just how gorgeous he was. Mm. And he was, you know, he had come back to Boston. He was really much more 
humble and appreciative of the fans because I know he had that love-hate relationship mm-hmm. That's with right. uh, fans when he played. When he played. But he came back a l- obviously a lot older. You know, he was in his 80s. And he was just, you know, he voiced his appreciation for the for the fans and what they had meant to him. And, um, you know, he just really, you know, he, he talked about practice, practice, practice being the key to his success. Mm. And he pointed his finger at me and, and looked me in the eye, and, and you know, because I asked him, I said, "What is the key to your success, Ted? Practice, 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 in and practicing the right way." <laughs> and he pointed his finger at me. He was so intense. He was as intense in that interview as he was on the baseball field. Wow. So I was wow. just one of these great memories. And John Henry was uh, so gracious. I know he. You know, John had some enemies with mm. the the uh, memorabilia folks because mm. he would chase them away. Because mm. he he could say he, John Ted told me the only two people that could tell if it was an authentic Ted Williams signature mm-hmm. autograph was was Ted and his son John Henry. Mm. And so John Henry, you know, would chase away a lot of these uh, memorabilia guys sure a lot of and scams so going on back then. he yeah. developed a negative yeah a lot of scams he developed a, a somewhat of a negative reputation in the business because obviously guys didn't like that so but i always liked john henry and i, I felt so bad when uh, a couple years after ted passed you know john henry died mm-hmm. i think he, he died of leukemia mm-hmm. and it was just yeah. very tragic yes very he was much. so young, but um, that was a very special memory. T- tell us ab- about and your that, and that interview, by the way, Wayne. That that I'm, that interview will be in my next book, by the way. Oh, awesome! Can't wait. That Ted Williams. I, I can't I wait. I, yeah. I went to his yeah. baseball camp for four years, um, back when I was eleven till I was fourteen, and he came the third year I was there, and it was just, it was just, it was just, just amazing absolutely positively amazing and um to to just he was you always hear about that john wayne like presence i mean he was probably in his early to mid 60s you know back then and uh just a, a again a, a great presence and uh, when he when he talked hitting boy you you listen because he was so far ahead of of people with your your bat speed and your stance and seeing the ball and his famous famous saying it's in his book get a good pitch to hit it's the most important part that, that he has in his book let's let's change gears and let's talk about one of the I, I never had a chance to meet him um, but I read a lot of books on him and uh, Mickey Mantle what was he like with you uh, Mickey Mano was a great storyteller. He just was, and he was so gracious as well. I mean, these guys, none of these guys ever asked for money to do interviews with me. Wow. On my sports interview TV show that aired for 17 years every week. They never asked for a cent. They just loved telling stories. You know, uh-huh. they were just, you know, a couple of the guys would be promoting a book or or a, a film or, or whatever. But Mickey, I used to go to Mickey Mano's restaurant when it was... Uh, in Manhattan, it was just like the place to gather for the sports. You know, between Runyon's and Mickey Mantle's restaurant, that's where all the sports people would gather for different events and, and just to have a you know drink after a game. And and Mickey was often there, so I would meet him anytime he was at the restaurant. And Bill Lederman, who was part owner of Mickey Mantle's restaurant, enabled me to interview him and mickey was my very first tv show sports interview show when i first put the show together uh in october of 1989 and um they basically set it up for me at his restaurant on central park south in manhattan and we were in the roger maris booth and there was this little ball a little case in the wall and it had um a ball that was signed to Mickey from Roger that said, to the Mick, my best friend and love Roger. And he, he uh-huh. took the ball out of the case and people thought that they disliked each other because no. they were big rivals. Yeah, and, that was the press. And they were going after the same records. Uh-huh. Yeah, the press kind of, you know, built up this huge rivalry. And, but they really did, they, they really, they liked, they loved each other. Uh-huh. And he, uh, and Mickey actually teared up a little bit in the interview when he talked about 
um, his friendship with Roger and, you know, how he went to the hospital to visit him every day when Roger got sick. And, um, you know, he took the ball out of the case and he showed me the ball and he was just so proud of that, of that ball. Mm. And, uh, you know, just a very sentimental guy. Mm. We talked about, um, the disease that killed us, various members in his family. His family, that's right. Um, you know, Hodgkin's, Hodgkin's disease and mm. his son was suffering with it, mm -hmm. um, at the time of the interview and his unfortunately his son later passed, passed away, away from Hodgkins mm. but yeah he you know Mickey was you know he's very honest he just said listen I I wasn't a great dad I was never around and mm. he, he felt guilty that he wasn't around that much uh you know he was from you know his career baseball traveling to yeah, he was you know, the he, was, yeah. he was Mr. Yankee he's Mr. Yankee. he was the Mitch that's right he's not home that much exactly that's right. So, um, you know, it was a very revealing interview. And again, I'm going to put that interview in, in my, this oh, next book I'm working on. What and a treasure. He was just very sincere and very, uh, and then he would tell some fun, uh, light stories, you know, and just, it is a treasure, Wayne. These interviews are with these legends, mm. everybody from Mantle to Ted Williams to Wilt Chamberlain to Jim Brown, uh, Bart Starr, um, Gordy Ow. Billy, um, Billy Jean you know, King. I have one, over one 500. Wow. Billy Jean King. Yeah. Annika Sorenstam. Yeah. I just saw Billy Jean at uh, the Greenbrier. I was at the Greenbrier. I saw that on Virginia social media. Yeah. yeah, what a great place. I have to tell you, just a gorgeous resort. Great golf. And World Team Tennis was there this season. All three weeks of the season was there. And mm. Billie Jean obviously made an appearance, and it was so good to see her. What a visionary she she is and continues to be. Yes, one of my favorite, favorite uh, athletes and people of all time. You know, I, I always uh, go back, um, you know, Mick, and he had many sides, and you hear the stories about the, you know, the carousing and stuff like that. But um, the man was just a, a phenomenal. I had a chance to, uh, to, to chat with some people that, um, that worked actually within the Yankee organization and, and how much he was loved by his team. He was a phenomenal, people don't realize, he was a phenomenal, phenomenal teammate. Uh, when a young player came up, Mick took him out to dinner at a nice restaurant, showed him where to shop, um, always picked up the tab when he was out and about. I mean, just a really, really good guy. And then um, to think about how good he could have been if he took better care of his body, if he took better care of himself. And uh, right, but, exactly. Uh, and he would often say that. He said he, he didn't think he'd live long because he, there was such a history of Hodgkin's disease in his family. And he, he would always say, "God, if I knew I'd live this long, I wouldn't have been drinking like you know like this." That's and right. He really did a number on his liver. So that's unfortunately, right. and, and you know, toward the end of his life, I think I sat down with him maybe six years before he passed away, and he obviously came full circle and and did that press conference I'll never forget mm. where he talked about how he was wrong and mm -hmm. you know with with the way he didn't take care of himself and how you know he was trying to wanted to be a better role model for for young people and 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 was preaching to them hey don't don't be like do me. what I did yeah don't be don't like drink. me yeah I, I totally you know killed my liver mm. he'd say and you know just don't do what I did because mm. it was obviously not the right way to go mm. Mm. Uh, great, great story, and thank you for sharing that. Let's talk a little bit about your, your uh, I don't say a budding entrepreneur. You've been an entrepreneur for many years. Let's talk about your the Anne Ligori jewelry line that you have out. Well, I'm really excited. It's really Dune Jewelry, and Holly Daniels Christensen is the owner, and they're right out of the Boston, Cape Cod area. But it's Dune, D-U-N-E, jewelry.com, and um, got to know Holly uh, a number of years ago, and we talked about starting uh, a jewelry line, and we named it the Hamptons Robe Collection. So mm. it's my collection. And it's really um, pretty much symbolic of the Hamptons. You know, it, 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 it's basically it's sand from your favorite beach or golf course. Each piece is made with, um, it's custom made, every, every piece, whether they're cufflinks for guys in sterling silver or gold or necklaces, earrings, ring, bracelets, beautiful collection, the Hamptons Robe Collection. And it has kind of like a nautical theme to it with some um, ribbing that looks like, um, you know, a nautical ribbing. And it's just really 
classy and sophisticated. And I'm just thrilled that, you know, the, the, the line's doing so well. And so if you go to dunejewelry.com and go to Hampton's Rope Collection on their website, you can see all the variety of, of jewelry that we offer. And um, again, you can either send in sand from your favorite golf course or your favorite beach, you know, a special place, your your honeymoon, a great vacation, a hole-in-one you had at a certain golf course. And each piece is like a, a, a memory from that special occasion. And uh, the line, and it's doing great. We nice. have a golf collection as well. Wayne, we have... Um, we have ball markers, we have divot tools, we have um, uh, keychains, we have money clips, and each piece has different sand. They have a sand bank on their website, yeah. so you can pick from either the, you know from the five thousand beaches or, or golf courses that they have on their website, or you can send in your own natural element. I'm a big hyd- hydrangea fan, mm. so uh, a couple of years ago I sent in hydrangeas dried hydrangeas from my garden all different colors from all different seasons june july august september and i got this bracelet with seven different colors of my dried hydrangeas so it's very special it's a very personal gift and and plus if you have a hole in one or you just want to remember you know a a famous golf course that, that you've played you can you know, grab sand from the bunker <laughs> or or yeah. pine or whatever you want, any kind of natural element and send it to them and they will custom make um, these pieces for you. So it's a great gift item. Oh, that's wonderful. And we certainly wish you the best of luck with uh, with that line. Um, wrapping this up here today, we're talking with Ann Ligori, sports radio and television personality, talk show host, journalist, author, uh, runs her own foundation, has her own uh, golf tournament coming up on October 8th in the Hamptons. First question, best advice that's ever been given to you by someone? Hmm, best advice that's been ever given to me. Um, I don't know if there's any one piece of advice. I mean, my my parents, you know, were, and my mom still is, you know, mm. they're great role models. And so I just, and my mom is my hero. She's 94 and doing well. She looks fabulous. Uh, she's in Florida. Social media. Thank she looks you. unbelievable. She's great, right? I just, she keeps, you know, she's active and she's, mm-hmm. um, she's just so patient and so loving and, and um, so kind and so good. I mean, I don't know if they make people like this anymore. Mm. I mean, she's just so, she's so wonderful. And I'm just so proud of her and, I just look up to her so much and I just think I'm a product of great parents who are, you know, my dad was so loving. We lost my dad to cancer Mm. when he was only 63 when I was a junior in college. But, you know, they were just, they would take me everywhere to play sports and they were so supportive and, and, you know, I initiated a lot on my own. They didn't over parent, you know what I'm saying? Mm. I think, you know, they, they let us kind of initiate and organize and, and and learn a lot by doing things on our own but yet they were always you know driving us around when we didn't have our license and and they made it possible when when there were no sports for me to compete in when I was in junior high my dad and I organized a girls track team and we competed with the AAU and he'd drive us around to all these track meets I mean we kind of they helped me maneuver around the obstacles being a girl who loved sports as a kid when you know there weren't a lot of opportunities for for girls back then Mm. and um so it instilled in me you know a lot of you know my values and ideals that i to this day carry with me Mm. and uh, my mom is again she's somebody i love to spend time with her she she teaches me so much now i mean her patience and her kindness and her compassion is something that you know i hope i always have you know with me for the rest of my life so i think you know the advice that i give others would be in, in especially those pursuing you know career in sports or any career in in the media you know do your homework uh no more than the person next to you um i think there's nothing that replaces you know having a great work ethic and and really being prepared right you really do your homework be a good you know, know how to research, learn as much as you can about the person or the subject that you're talking about. Be a good writer. 
I think anybody today who goes into the media field, whether you're in broadcasting or production or PR or sales, you have to know how to write. So mm. practice your writing skills. You have to be um, obviously a very good writer and communicator and, and be a nice person. I just think, uh, you know, you have to be true to yourself and, and follow your dream, but don't do it. You know, don't compromise your, your ideals and morals. Mm. You got to be, I think, you know, good needs to prevail over evil, particularly in, in our times. And right. just be, be good, be nice and, and try to have a positive effect on our world. I guess that's a lot of advice wrapped in. No, one. that's great because you, you <laughs> took the one question and you molded everything into the next two I was going to ask you. So that was, uh, that was perfect. And uh, again, my dear friend, I want to really thank you for taking the time to uh, be with us on here. Uh, her website is dot com. Go on there. L-I-G-U-O-R-I. L-I-G-U-O-R-I. U-O-R-I. I'm sorry. I'm a fellow Paisan, okay. and I'm, you know, I'm screwing it up. I apologize. <laughs> That's all right. All right. My, my handwriting isn't what it used to be. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> it has been a wonderful pleasure to have you here today, my friend, and really want to thank you very, very, very much for, uh, for, for taking the time to be with us here on a walk down memory lane. Wayne, my pleasure. Anytime. I love telling stories, as you know, and uh, let's let's do it again sometime. Uh, this on a scale of 1 to 10 for me today was about a 15. So thank you once again. Ann Ligori has been my guest here on A Walk Down Memory Lane, brought to you by Kamali Electric, sports radio and television personality, and one of the finest human beings around. For Ann, I'm Wayne Soares. Make it a great day.